morning. Father, we honor you tonight. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for all that you're doing in our lives. And God, we just open our hearts to you and we ask you to speak to each one of us today. Let us hear your voice and then show us how to respond, how to act on that, that we be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Thank you for your wisdom and direction in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series called Something New, Something New. And we're talking about God doing new things in our lives. We don't want to have a boring existence. We don't want to have just a religious, distant relationship with God. We want God to be involved in every area of our lives. We don't want to live complacent lives. We want to live passionate lives in love with Jesus and seeing God doing new things continually. And we began in Isaiah 43 where God said, don't get wrapped up in yesterday. Don't get all wrapped up in the old things. Don't just live in what's happened in the past. God says, behold, see, I will do new things. It's going to spring up out of nowhere. And we've been talking about the fact that in order to have a really healthy relationship with God, we need to see God working for us. How many of you like to see God doing some new things for you? Wouldn't you like that? We've been talking about God doing things in us, changing us from the inside out, always working on us, growing us. And then today we're going to launch into the third area, which is God working through us. No matter who you are today, no matter where you came from, what your background is, God wants to work through you to touch other people, to minister to them right where they are. So let me ask two or three questions to begin with today. First of all, what is God wanting? What is God trying to do through us? Well, the simple short answer is God is trying to share his nature and his power with people through us. God wants to use us to touch other people's lives. Second question, how much, and ask yourself this question, how much of my spiritual life is focused on what God wants to do through me in ministering to other people? You know, we're all human. Our nature is when we pray, when we talk to God, when we have our time with God, we tend to tell God all the things we want and say, and if you could, please do it in a hurry. That's what prayer is for a lot of us. It's all consumed with doing for me. But what does God want to do in you? And what specifically today is God wanting to do through us? And then a third question, can we really see God work through us? Can we see that happen? Can we become vessels of God's power on a daily basis? Can God work through all of our lives? The answer is yes. Yes, he can. But I want to begin this morning and I want to give you a simple scriptural trail to follow. And I've got a message. I'm going to share four thoughts later on. I'll do it quickly. But I want you to listen very closely the next three minutes or so as I kind of lay this out from Scripture. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 3 that before Jesus began his ministry, he went down to Jordan River and he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And Scripture says when he came up out of the water, being baptized in water, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit in a bodily form descended upon him and rested upon him. And then God spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. On the heels of that, scripture tells us Jesus went in the power of the Holy Spirit. The spirit that came upon him there as he came up out of the waters. 
He went in the power of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tested and tempted for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, having conquered all the temptation of Satan, he came back to begin to associate with people out of the wilderness. And the scripture says he came back out of the wilderness still in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the next thing we see in the progression of the life of Jesus is Jesus walking into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, picking up the scriptures and beginning to read. And he read these words, Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, now think about this for a minute. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me. To anoint in scriptural terms means not, not to put a drop of oil on my head, but it means to take a flask of oil, a bottle of oil, and pour it out on my head until it runs all down my head, all down my clothes, and begins to drip off onto the ground. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which means this time is now. And Scripture says when Jesus wrote the, read those words from Isaiah 61, he closed the book and he said, today these words are fulfilled. What did he do? He spent the next three years of his life doing all the things that he read. He said, the Spirit of God is upon me to touch people's lives, to change people's lives, to bring healing and wholeness and spiritual health and physical health. God has anointed me to change people's eternal destinies forever. And he poured out his life doing just that. But not long before Jesus would go to the cross, not long before his ascension back to the Father, he began to talk to his followers, his disciples, about leaving. He began to tell them, I'm going to be going away, and their hearts were sad. But Jesus said this. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I stay here, the Holy Spirit will not come and work in your life the way he needs to. But he said, if I go away and go back to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit and you will not be orphans, you won't be left alone, but you will be empowered to work the works of God. As a matter of fact, in John 14, verse 12, here's what Jesus said. He that believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. Greater works, greater works than these shall he do because I go back to the Father. What Jesus was saying was, God has anointed me with his spirit to change people's lives. And when I go back to the Father, that same Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be empowered to pick up my ministry and continue what I have started. What Jesus was saying was your ministry, the ministry of the church, your ministry will look like my ministry. God wants us to be a part of that. God wants me. He wants you. If you've known God for 20 minutes, he wants to begin to minister to you and then in you and then through you. God wants to take what he's given to you and he wants to show you how you can give it away and share it with other people. And then God supernaturally begin to work on occasions through us to touch people's lives and meet them right where they are just as Jesus did. Mark 16 is, Mark recorded some of the words of Jesus before he left. Jesus said this, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. 
They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. It's interesting. Jesus wasn't talking about being silly and being goofy and say, hey, let's go, let's go hunt rattlesnakes. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying, well, let, let's go out and get some poison and drink it and just see if this thing's real. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the power and the authority that would come upon us with the power of the Holy Spirit. That no matter what enemy might come our way, we did not have to run from the enemy, but we would have power over that situation. Whether it's kingdoms, whether it's individuals, whether it's hell itself, we would be victorious and pushing through and helping people find healing and wholeness and reality in God. God's all about people, and he wants us to be all about people. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul wrote to the church about spiritual things, about spiritual giftings, of how God would use them beyond their natural abilities. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, here's what Paul said. Pursue love and desire. Desire, but I say desire. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Desire that God would empower us to minister to people beyond our natural abilities. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, when he talked about pursuing love and desiring spiritual gifts, we're also encouraged in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, to not be ignorant about those spiritual gifts. God wants us to know of the ways in which he will use us to minister to other people and touch their lives. I believe God wants to do some new things through us. I think there are some people in this building today that, and hopefully it's everyone here, who's saying, God, I want you to work for me and I want you to work in me, but God, I would be thrilled if you would just use me to help some people. You know what? God's going to talk to us about that very thing today. What I want to do we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 6 in just a moment. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. But I want to talk to you about an individual that you find in the book of Acts. His name was Philip. Philip is, is one of my heroes. I love to look at the life of Philip. I love to teach on the life of Philip. And there's not a lot written about Philip. There's only four scenes in Scripture from the life of Philip. But these four scenes give us a picture of what God's trying to do in us so he can work through us. Let's look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1, begin to read together. It says, now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, as a matter of fact, the church was growing by hundreds and thousands at that time, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, now pause here just a moment. Speaks of Hebrews, it's talking about the Jews who spoke the traditional Hebrew language of the day. The Hellenists were believers. They were Jewish people who actually spoke Greek. And so there's a, a bit of a conflict here between people of different languages, a bit of a racial conflict, even if you will. And as they begin to butt heads, these Greek-speaking widows said, no, wait a minute, it's not fair. You guys feed all the Hebrew women first, and the Hebrew widows, and then you come to us later, and we only get what's left, and sometimes we don't get anything. Sometimes we're totally neglected because it's all gone. And so this controversy began to work in the church, and there was division, budding of heads. There were 12 apostles, disciples, if you will, apostles who were leading the church, and they got together and said, you know, the church is growing so fast. 
We're teaching, we're preaching, we're praying. God's doing all this great stuff. Miracles are happening. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. We are so busy. We don't have time to deal with this. And so they said, let's choose some men who can help take over this feeding program. Let's find some people to lead community care, if you will. Look at the next verse, verse number two. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should lead the word of God and serve tables. Verse three, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And finally, verse five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and Philip. Everybody say Philip. There are others who are chosen, but I want to stop right there. And Philip. We're going to look at the life of Philip today. It's interesting that Philip just pops up because there's a need. There's a need in the church. They need men who will help feed the widows and make sure the food is fairly distributed among those in need. So they said, let's pick seven guys and seven are chosen and one of which is a man named Philip. Philip was probably a fairly young man at this time. But Philip had already committed himself to the ministry of the church and the ministry of Jesus. Because if you'll notice, they began to choose these seven men and there were some qualities that they looked for. First of all, they said, we need men of good reputation, which means you got a name. People think highly of you. Let me ask you a question today. What is your reputation? Just, just be sober about it for a minute. Be honest. As Romans 12 says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but see, think soberly. Don't get drunk on who you want to be and what you think you might be. But honestly, sincerely, what is my reputation? The interesting thing about reputation is you earned it. Everybody smile at me this morning. I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you. My track record has given me a reputation. My personality, the way I handle things, I have a reputation. You have a reputation. But it says that these seven men, including Philip, were chosen because they had a good reputation. If you ask people in the church and people around town about Philip, they would say, oh yeah, Philip, he's a good young man. He's a good young man. His reputation was solid. The second thing they said, let's look for men of wisdom. Men of wisdom. Scriptural wisdom means we have the ability to take a situation and break it into pieces, understand fully all the pieces, get knowledge to know how the pieces all work together, get the understanding of all of that, and then receive a course of action that will help solve the problem. Wisdom isn't just understanding. Wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's knowing what to do with knowledge and understanding. It's a pathway that fixes things. Philip, as a young man, had already shown to people that God will give me wisdom how to fix problems and how to minister to people. And then third of all, the third quality they looked for was people, men who were full of the Holy Spirit. Men who had already become vessels of God that God was using in mighty ways. And so they chose seven men. Now, isn't it interesting 
that within that church, that new growing church with thousands of people, that there were people who were already seen as spiritual leaders being used by God among the congregation. No title, no leadership roles, simply men used by God. Let me take a couple minutes and talk about this. First of all, without a title, without a position, Philip had become a vessel of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come upon him as the Holy Spirit had come upon Jesus, and he was being used by the Holy Spirit to touch people's lives. No title, no position. Another thing we notice here is faithfulness had become a trademark of Philip's life. He was faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? It doesn't just mean to be full of faith, to be spiritual. To be faithful means to be consistent, to be dependable. It means if I say I'm going to be there, I'll be there. If I'm supposed to serve that week and they call me up or they send me the text or I get the email and I say, yeah, when Sunday morning rolls around and it's time for me to be there, I'll be there and I'll be in place. Nobody will ever have to worry about where Philip is because Philip was always in place doing what he said he would do. He was faithful. Philip was one of those guys who said, show me a need and I'll help meet it. Show me somebody hurting, and I'll touch their life. Philip was faithful. And and then another thing we see is, in the life of Philip, we learn the lesson that a calling of God is developed. The calling of God is developed. See, here's what we'll find out this morning at the end of this message. At the end of his life, Philip was known as Philip the Evangelist. The only person in the entire New Testament that by name is called the Evangelist. Philip became known as the Evangelist. And you know what I believe? I believe when Philip was a young man back in that church in Jerusalem, God dropped in his heart, I'm going to use you to touch cities. I'm going to use you as an evangelist. I'm going to use you to take the name of Jesus to people who don't know who Jesus is. You are going to do great things for the kingdom of God. But what Philip shows us in his life is you don't just get a calling and jump into it. You get the calling and then you grow into it. See, some of us want to jump to the end of the line. We want to jump from A to Z. You don't jump from A to Z. You walk from A to B and then B to C and C to D until you end up where God has called you. God builds us and he develops us one step, one phase at a time. It's amazing how many people through the years show up at church and I've dealt with a lot of them. They show up and say, hey, my name is minister so-and-so or pastor so-and-so or evangelist so-and-so or prophet so-and-so. God sent me here so you need to give me a bunch of people and a pulpit and a microphone and let me have it. And I say, thank you. Sit in church. Be one of us. Minister among us. Be what God's called you to be right here. And God will exalt you if he wants to exalt you beyond that. Because we grow into our calling. And there's a thousand people in this community float from church to church to church to church looking for somebody to give them an audience to exalt them. Friends, we're not here to exalt ourselves. We're here to exalt Jesus because he's the only one who can turn our lives around. One more guy and a Three-piece suit with five buttons isn't going to change the community. But Jesus can. And we need that. We need that in our world today. So this first phase, and the the final thing I want to share about Philip in this first phase. Philip became one of the original deacons 
in the early church. By definition, you know what a deacon is? It's a table waiter. It's a servant who waits on tables. It's like the guy in the restaurant who serves food and busses tables. In a lot of the church world today, deacons are seen as this and seen as that. Above all else, the thing we learned from Philip was he understood my calling is to serve. To serve in original writings of the New Testament, as we get it translated, to serve means to minister and to minister means to serve. Those words always come from the same root word. Ministering and serving, it's all the same thing. If we're not here to serve people and serve God, then we're not going to minister to people. We're here to serve. And then we move on to the next scene in the life of Philip. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter 8. We'll have the verses on the screen here in just a moment. But in Acts chapter 8, a few years have passed. Philip has been a faithful deacon in the church serving the widows, making sure they get their daily food. Now in Acts chapter 8, something happens, and let's read about it. Acts chapter 8, verse number 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, now pause here just a moment. It says the people were scattered. What happened was persecution came upon the church. And Stephen, the first deacon we mentioned earlier ahead of Philip, Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death. He was accused of blaspheming God because the Holy Spirit was working mighty things through him. There were people who hated him, the same people that put Jesus on the cross. They put him to death and stoned him. And when that happened, the church began to scatter and they began to move outside of Jerusalem. They began to move to other communities to escape the pressure and the persecution. And when that happened, God evidently spoke to Stephen's heart or, or to Philip's heart. And Philip realized, this is my time. This is my cue to go do the things that God has put in my heart. And it says that Philip went to Samaria. Look at verse number six. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. When persecution grew, the people began to disperse, and Philip went where nobody else wanted to go. He went to Samaria. See, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. The Jews considered them half-breeds. Their religious practices were different. They didn't like each other, even though they occupied some of the same territory. They just didn't get along, and it reached the place where they avoided each other. Remember, Jesus one day said, I have needs go through Samaria, and the disciples were like, oh, man, we don't want to go to Samaria. Nobody wants to go. Do we have to go to Samaria? But they went to Samaria. Jesus planted seeds for the future by going to Samaria. Nobody wanted to go to Samaria, but the word had already been given. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So Philip is led by the Spirit of God to go to Samaria. And what happens? Revival breaks out. Miracles start happening. People are being delivered from demonic possession. Healings are taking place. I mean, unbelievable things are happening. We've been seeing blinded eyes open up. In the middle of all of this, the whole city, it says, with one accord, they're all coming out to hear Philip, and they're turning to God. It's interesting. Philip's ministry grew from widows 
to an entire city of people. From meals to miracles. Some of us need to be willing to serve meals if we want to see miracles. We need to take on the simple things so that God can promote us through our faithfulness to bigger things. Philip did those things. And there's some lessons we see in this one picture. First of all, Philip obviously learned what it meant to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit? God gives you direction and you follow. It's not just to hear God, it's to hear God and act on what God says. It leads to obedience. The second thing we see here about Philip in this scene is his obedience led him to see great things. Can you imagine what would have happened if Philip had said, yes, God, somebody needs to go to Samaria, and I'm going to pray for Samaria, and someday I'm just praying you'll send somebody there. You know what would have happened? God would have sent somebody else, and Philip would have missed the growth and the progression of his life. Here's what a lot of us don't understand. Obedience is your last step of faith. It's the last thing you do in the process of faith. It's hearing from God, knowing in your heart what you need to do, and then not just knowing, but stepping out and acting upon it. If we don't act, we've not fulfilled faith because faith is a verb. It's an action word. It's not a hearing. It's not just a knowing. It's not just an understanding. It's acting and doing. It's obedience to what God wants us to do. Obedience fulfills the process of faith. And the next thing we learn from this is that obedience leads us to divine opportunities and divine appointments. Obedience leads to divine opportunities and divine appointments. Let me ask a question today. How many of you have ever just had it in your heart? You've just had this dream, this desire, oh God, someday just use me, give me divine appointments and use me to touch people's lives. How many, how many feel that way today? God, use me, use me. Send me places and help me to meet up with people who are looking for you, who need you. And God, give me some of those divine appointments. Give me some of those divine opportunities. It's obedience that leads us to those appointments and opportunities. Without obedience, you miss those places. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, there was a division in the church. People began to split and go opposite directions because some said, well, we're followers of Paul. And some said, well, we're followers of Apollos. And Paul wrote them in chapter 3 and said, you know what? What's this nonsense about people breaking into pieces, saying I'm following Paul or I'm following Apollos? Paul wrote the words. He said, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Oh, we are servants of God. We're not Jesus. Oh, we are a people. Some of us plant seed. Some of us water the seed. But ultimately, it's God who works the miracles and God who gives the increase. God who makes it all grow. He said, don't break up over Paul. Don't break up over Apollos. But understand, it's not about us. It's not about Jesus. Friend, we need to understand our calling is not about us. It's about getting Jesus out in the community. It's about making him famous and letting Jesus be God in people's lives. We need to understand this commit our lives to it. And then we find that right in the middle of this, some interesting things begin to happen because, let me paint this scene. Philip is preaching and the whole city's coming to hear him. Miracles are happening everywhere. Even the town sorcerer is coming out wanting to get involved in this. Amazing things are happening. And right in the middle of it, he calls in the other apostles to come and help 
organize the church and get things set in order so that the church can function well. And then when the apostles get there, the Holy Spirit speaks to him with some new instructions. Look at verse number 26 of that same chapter. Acts 8, 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. An angel shows up, speaks to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. One of the things you find is God doesn't call you to a place and an appointment and you have great success and then says, okay, build a throne and sit there. This is as far as you're going. God leads us from opportunity to opportunity. It's interesting because an evangelist, he goes to town proclaiming the good news and when revival breaks out, he's not about to leave till revival's over. But right in the middle of all of this, God speaks to him. An angel shows up and says, I have a job for you. Head down south to the desert. Can I be honest with you? The last two days here in Southern California, here in Temecula area, I don't want to go any further into the desert than what I've been. 105, 106 is hot enough for me. I don't want to go to Palm Springs. Y'all go enjoy it for a few days. I'm going to stay right here, Okay. Here's this guy, I mean, he's in a red-hot revival. And the Spirit of God says, I have another assignment for you. Go to the desert. You know what he does? He takes off. I don't know if he went by donkey. I don't know if he went by foot. He travels several miles away and heads out to the desert. Look at verse number 27. Here's the next scene in the life of Philip. Verse 27 says, so he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, verse 28, was returning. So here's Philip out in the desert. Not in the I've been to that part of the world. I mean, it's desert, and it's just desert roads. Here he is going down this desert road, and here comes this procession. I mean, when you talk about the treasure over the entire nation, kingdom of Ethiopia, this big eunuch, this big guy, he's an important man. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's trying to figure out what this God thing's all about. He's heading home, and I promise you, he didn't travel by himself. There was a procession. There were escalades and Tahoes. They were all painted black with tinted windows, 22-inch chrome wheels. They are rolling down the road. But here he's got his window down on his chariot. And as he, as he goes along, Philip out in the middle of the desert by himself says, what in the world is this? And he's watching this. And immediately God throws him into unusual circumstances. Look at verse number 28. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Can you imagine all the security, all the guys with the, with the you know, the, the AKs, you know, sitting there and guarding this guy? And so Philip goes running up beside him, goes running over, runs up beside his chariot to see what's going on. He sees this happening. This guy's reading from the book of Isaiah. Verse 30 says, so Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? 
unless someone guides me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Speaking of Jesus. Verse 33, in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of another man? Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So Philip took the next several minutes and explained that this was a prophetic picture of Jesus, the Son of God. He explained to them the entire plan of salvation and being baptized in water and following Jesus. Notice what happens in verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. I want to stop right here. We'll come back and pick it up in a minute. But I'm going to show you something here. How many times has God opened doors of opportunity for us, like Philip had at Samaria, and things are going great, and all of a sudden God drops something in our heart, and it's like, eh, God, I, I've gone through so much to get here. I, I, no, I don't want to go. I want to stay right here. God says, no, I need you here. Some would say, Man, Philip left a red-hot revival that was turning an entire city upside down. God's doing miracles, and God sends him out here to meet up with one Ethiopian eunuch, a guy who doesn't look like him, doesn't think like him. His culture is different. His lifestyle, everything is different. God sends him out here just to meet with one Ethiopian eunuch. The interesting thing is, Scripture says, and we'll read it in a minute, that when Philip baptized him, that when he pulled him up out of the water, the Spirit of God caught up Philip and took him several miles away and dropped him down. And that unit came up out of the water like, where's Philip? The interesting thing is, he goes back home, the eunuch goes back home, the Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Ethiopia, evidently begins to spread the gospel because... Church historians tell us today that the longest continuous church in history is a church of Jesus Christ today that started shortly after this time in the nation of Ethiopia. Now think about that. You talk about divine appointments? Oh, this revival's too big to leave. I'm shaking a city. God put him in a position to touch one man, and that one man went back home, and it changed the course of an entire nation and the history of a nation. And there are still Christians in Ethiopia to this day because it started way back then. You never know how important that next appointment might be. Some point in time, we need to learn to meet people right where they are. I mean, Philip met this guy, an uncommon person in an uncommon place with an uncommon opportunity which produced uncommon results that all came about because of obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
giving away what God gives us. You know, one of the things I've learned about ministry is sometimes in order to be effective, we have to turn loose, lose control of a situation, let God have it. A lot of us don't get into ministry because we're afraid we can't control things. You know what? The worst thing you can do is control things. What you need to do is prepare yourself, give away what God has given you, and then put it in God's hands and let God be God. Best thing you can do. Philip didn't need to go to Ethiopia. God had somebody else to continue that process. If we do what God's called us to do and put it in God's hands, God knows exactly what he's doing. A few years ago, I was here at the office one morning, and I came in. I hadn't eaten breakfast. I got here early. Late morning, I was getting really hungry, so I ran down to the shopping center up here at Winchester, went into one of the little restaurants to grab something real quick to, to snack on. And while I was waiting on my order, I, I'd order the food. I'm waiting for him to get it ready to take back to the office with me. I'm just standing off the side. I'd been sitting, studying all morning. I'm standing over there, and there's this rail. I'm leaning on this rail, and there's this older couple sitting down just a couple tables away from where I was standing, and they're having a real serious conversation. And you know, I was standing, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to eavesdrop on them. I'm just standing there, and it's obvious, you know, they're almost in tears talking about, it's not like a teenager or a young adult, somebody young. I could hear the turmoil, and they called my, for my order, and I went up and got my order at the, cab, at the counter, got ready to leave, and as I'm walking out, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, go talk to those people for a second. Here's what you tell them. I walked over there and I said, folks, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I mean, I didn't tell them who I was. And I just, I, I don't mean to interfere. I, I just want to share something with you. God says, don't worry about that child. God's got him. He's coming home. And that older guy looked up at me and kind of got bright-eyed, teary-eyed, and he said, I agree. I believe that with all my heart. I thought, isn't that great? I mean, I don't know who the guy was. I have no idea. You say, well, why do you share that today? Here's why I share it. I don't know why that man needed encouragement. I don't know. It's a part of the process. But if we're willing to just open up and say, God, just use me, if nothing else, just to speak a word of encouragement to somebody, God will put us in situations where we can change people's lives forever. If we're willing, if we're obedient. First service today, we, we had a man in our service a lot of you know uh, Major William Frazier, Jr. He's a part of our church. He's, he's been a major in, in the Marine Corps for several years. He retired this past Friday. I went to his retirement ceremony down at Pendleton. It, those ceremonies are so great. Man, the marching band was out there and all. It was in the heat and all this. But I listened to people talk about what a great guy he was. And then I heard him share his heart. He got up to speak. The first thing out of his mouth was, The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The next thing he said was, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, you know. The cool thing was, here's a man who served, he served you and me for 30 years. He served us for 30 years, laid down his life. His family had to put up with him being deployed on different occasions, being halfway around the world in dangerous places. But when he's home on schedule, what he does on Sundays, he ministers to our children. And I thought, wow, if that's not a picture of Philip, I don't know what is. Get involved now. Find your place. Begin to minister to people and build 
your reputation. Last thing is this. Acts 21. I'm almost, almost finished. Acts 21. Verse number 8. This is Paul and his companions traveling many years later. It says, On the next day we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. One of the seven. One of those deacons. And we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Philip didn't run around town when he was first called by God saying, here, here's my card, Philip the evangelist. Call me up and I'll come preach for you. It's not what he did. He just went and functioned wherever God put him. And God used him. And his ministry grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Before his life was over, he was known as Philip the Evangelist. Because you know what happened? He went to Samaria. He went to the desert. God picked him up out of the water and dropped him in a place called Azotus after he baptized that eunuch. He went from Azotus, preached the gospel, to the next town and preached the gospel, to the next town and preached the gospel. He spent his entire life going from city to city preaching the gospel. And when his life was over, two things you knew about him. Number one, he was Philip the Evangelist. He proved it. Number two... He had four pure daughters who served God and they were used in spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. Not only did he build a reputation, he prepared the next generation to pick up when he stopped and keep going forward. That's our calling, friends. Not just us, not just my, not just my ministry, but preparing my children and my grandchildren to become everything God created them to be. That's our calling. Next week, I'm going to pick up and talk about some more new things, about how those gifts of the Spirit can work in our lives. Paul said, don't be ignorant of them. You need to desire those things because you can minister to people. I'll be talking about that more next week. But in conclusion today, I want to do th two things. Number one, I want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask everybody here to bow your head. Father, give us a hunger for spiritual things. Not, not to validate ourselves, but to validate you. Give us a hunger. Give us a right heart and a desire for spiritual gifts so that we might be empowered to minister as Jesus did, so that our church looks like the ministry of Jesus. Give us a hunger. Show us our place in this process. Show us where we are and where we need to go next from here. God, prepare us new things. God, there are people here who need to be shaken and realize there's more. There's new things God wants to do through me. God, prepare us. Prepare us. And then, Father, pour out your Spirit upon us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come upon us that we might experience you as we've never experienced you before. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed, the last thing Maybe you're here today, maybe you've listened to this and you thought, wow, Philip really lived an interesting life. But maybe as you listen to this, you think, well, I, I could probably never have a life like that because I, I don't even know God. Maybe something inside of you is stirring and maybe you're realizing that God is knocking on the door of your heart right now. My job right now is to help you open that door and ask Jesus to come into your life. The way you do that is with words. It's a simple prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a commitment to God. 
Maybe this is the first time you've heard the story. I'm going to tell you something. God loves you so much. He sent his own son to earth in human flesh and blood like you and me. He lived a sinless life, and then he was put on a cross to die for your sins and my sins, that everything wrong with us could be wiped away in his blood, and everything right with him could be put into our lives, that we could become the children of God. God wants you to know him. Right now, God may be knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe you once knew God, but you've run so far away, you feel like you don't even know him anymore. But right now, the Holy Spirit's just knocking on your heart, and you realize that I need to respond to God. Let me help you. I want to help you pray this prayer. I'm going to ask everybody in the house, pray this prayer right out loud. You don't have to scream it, but right out loud, let's pray this. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. Forgive my sin cleanse me I want to know you I believe in Jesus he's the son of God who died for my sins was raised from the dead I want to know you God so from this moment forward I put my faith in you Jesus is my savior he'll become the Lord of my life as I follow you in Jesus name Amen. Amen.